Get Heard with Ian Roth podcast, where it is our mission to enable leaders to effectively engage and motivate their audience through written and verbal communication. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Get Heard podcast. I have a very special guest today, someone who had a huge impact on my life and is one of my many mentors, but this person, Peter Harnberger, had a huge impact on my development as a professional and as a leader back when I was going through graduate school in 2011, 2012. So today I have Peter on the show. We talk about culture and you know what shapes an organizational's culture and how it enables communication and which is really our jobs as leaders to make sure that our organizations are functioning at a high level, that there is communication efficiently working throughout, and that we establish a culture that is productive, but also retains people, keeps them around and, you know, enables people to see the why, the why the organization or why the team does what it does. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Peter Hornberger. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Get Heard podcast. My guest today is Peter Hornberger. How are you doing, Peter? I'm good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for hopping on the show tonight. It's Saturday night at it's 8.45 Central Time, so 9.45 Eastern Time. Thank you so much for being on here. Not a problem, man. It's good to hear from you. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. It's been too long. It was uh, nice to catch up with you before the show, and let's not that be the last time that we talk for a while. I hope not. Yeah, definitely not. So if you don't mind talking to the audience, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing, any special projects you're super pumped and excited about. Sure, sure. So right now I'm working as a professor. I work in um, teaching management and entrepreneurship, and uh, that's that's similar to what I've been doing for for quite a while now. Um, so that's one of the ways we we cross paths way way back uh, in our in our past and working at a university and and doing some consulting for small businesses. And now I teach students, and um, that's a, it's a great part of my life because it's the best way for me to learn is to go out and meet with people figure out what they're trying to do and and see if there's anything I can do to help them. I think entrepreneurship is one of those things that is highly personal and ultimately it's it's down to doing rather than thinking about doing stuff and my job is really to support and I think create an ecosystem where people are comfortable with ambiguity and willing to take on that challenge. So that's what I do for a living what I'm passionate about though is really learning about culture, how people can take the things that they value and how those values then start influencing and shaping the behaviors that uh, they they exhibit. And you know, when you when I started listening to some of your podcasts and hearing things you were doing about communication, uh, it really struck an interest with me to see uh, what we could maybe talk about because projects that I'm on, I'm working on my dissertation, hopefully to finish that up very soon. I'm working on that at Penn State uh, University, and. Uh, what I'm looking at is culture, particularly fan cultures in uh, a popular culture setting, in this case, music, and how fans of particular music uh, genres and, and music artists are learning about some areas of their, their social uh, environment and how they might then change their values, which then influence their behavior. So that's probably going to be a common theme that, that you hear about tonight is values influencing uh, the behaviors that people exhibit. And hopefully we can explore what communication has in that, uh, in that influence. Awesome. And before we get into culture, which I think is what our main discussion is going to be about, I find it very fascinating and on point that you said entrepreneurship is more so about the doing 
instead of just the thinking of doing stuff. Like sure, there's some thinking involved, but it's actually getting out of your comfort zone and trying something or doing something. Yeah, I, I think it would be, to me, it would be a great disservice to someone that was thinking about trying to take on that challenge, take on the risk and the responsibility of starting a business. And, and for me to sit back as either a, an educator, a teacher, a consultant, and to say, well, you know, I know how to do everything because I, I've been down this pathway. Um, so let me just tell you exactly what to do. I, my, my guess would be they, they should be challenging me to say, wait a second, if, if you know the secret recipe to starting a successful business all the time, every time, why, why would you be a university professor or, or just a consultant? Like, why wouldn't you be out there uh, making millions upon millions of dollars every, every turn of the dime? And the reality is it's just, it, there's more to it than that. It's, it's not about knowing how to do anything. Even if you've done it successfully one, two or three times, that next one is still always going to be a challenge. And, uh, to be very honest, I've, I've done more failure than, than anything. And, um, that's okay to me. That's, that's all part of the journey. And what, what I hope to do is again, be able to create spaces and places where people can, uh, try, but set up systems where that if they do, uh, make mistakes or fail, that failure is not final and they can, they can uh, learn from that and rebound and, and move forward at a, at a faster velocity the next time. Definitely. And the gentleman I interviewed, interviewed last week, but uh, the episode aired a couple weeks ago, Mr. Andy Wines, a very successful entrepreneur in Wisconsin. So I asked him, okay, he and I were just talking, you know, do you have any advice? And he just says kind of like what you alluded to, just, just do the effing thing. Just do right. it. Just go out yeah. and do it and try it and do the effing thing. And that's the only way we get better. And like you said, if we fail, we learn from it, we get better, and we just keep taking steps to get better. So I think that's a great perspective, Peter. Even though we weren't planning on talking about that, thank yeah. you for bringing that up. No, I mean, it's, it's hard not to. I mean, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, we shared at least a trajectory on that pathway in our, uh, you know, several years ago as, as we worked together. And um, I know it's an, an interest that that uh, obviously you have as you're you're often doing some of these things on your own. And, and I, I think this is great. And the point is, if you if you knew what you were doing, you would already be doing it successfully. So the reality is we're all kind of in a, on a journey learning as we go. And the hope is that uh, you find people and, and systems that are supportive of that so that you can learn and grow and, and hopefully then prosper so that those around you also prosper with you. Yeah, definitely, Peter. Well said. And, you know, I, I can't believe it's been eight years, eight plus years already. That's right. Yeah, it was quick. <laughs> Where has the time? I mean, you said your son's in first grade. My That's daughter right. is in kindergarten now. It's like, oh, my goodness. Yep. Where, where has the time gone? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so getting into culture, you know, you, you spoke about culture and that's going to be the theme of our episode tonight. So I guess first things first, how would you define what a an organiza organizational or culture is? Yeah, I, I think it's it's important to look at, and it's really hard to see. And um, I also think that sometimes you can be looking to see what is the culture, and and sometimes we're we're biased by what we want to see. So you know, culture to me is looking at, at organizations and trying to absorb from all the different things happening. What what are the true values? So it's not what they do. Uh, it's not even how they do business, but now you're starting to get down to why are we here? So driving down to that, that why, uh, so that we can start figuring out what are the, what are the actual values that, that we have in an organization? Um, and then the hope is that those values then are, are mirrored 
not just from the words that people say at an organization, but then in the behaviors, uh, the attitudes that you start seeing from uh, almost everyone. Uh, So this is culture is not something that uh, leaders do. This is something that everyone uh, takes part in. And it it can be a challenge because so oftentimes one of the things we, we first experience when we're dealing with a new organization particularly is you hear the words. Uh, you might see their website, you might see social media, uh, so you can you can kind of get what they're saying, but it's really hard to to understand the why and get down to uh, do their actual behaviors day to day match what they're what they're saying, what the words are that are coming out of their mouth, and, and that's the the challenge is it takes time to really understand culture and, and to map it out. So that 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 to me is the important part of this is culture is not something that you just stumble into. Uh, spend eight minutes uh, concentrating on it very heavily and say, all right, I understand this organization, the culture, the values, attitudes, and behaviors that are coming out. This this takes a, a good bit of time uh, to see how all those things match up and if there's consistency across uh, those those three components, values, attitudes, and behaviors. Values, attitudes, and behaviors. Those are some pretty good words to use when defining culture. And when, when speaking about culture, you know, as leaders, we can tell someone to do something, a task, we'll say in this situation, and they can do the task excellently. And every time you need that task done, they just do it, do it, do it. And even if they do that task 100% perfectly all the time, if, if, if that person does not understand the why, it's really it's a shame and you're not going to get the full effectiveness and that really value added culture to the organization. So like you said, it really is about the why, why do we as a company do this? And then can we have that trickle down from the leadership to the lowest level employee? Like you said, it's not just the leadership that participates in creating the company culture, but is getting that why down all the way to the lowest level so that they can live it and, and really make that culture come to life. Yeah, and I, I think if you're at the what level, like you said, here's the task. We've got great employees. They they know what the tasks are. They achieve them efficiently, productively. It's it's great. Um, those things then, if you tra- transition that into other generations, new employees coming in, the what can be transferred, but it it doesn't carry the same value because the why I think is really what's important. And I think if you if you can transfer the why. Uh, the behaviors will follow. So to me, back to back to culture, if you look at uh, values, attitudes, and behaviors, if you can focus uh, instead on the values um, and, and attitudes, what you're going to see, I think, is the behaviors have to follow because the, if the why is right, the, the what becomes almost a, something you don't even have to think about. It, it's, a, it's a given that once the values and attitudes are on point and consistent, and heading in the right direction, behaviors, they're going to follow. So you're saying that you can, if you can get someone to understand the why, maybe before they master a certain task or the what here, that you're, that, that, the, that the what will eventually follow. And, you know, mastering the why is really the, the main goal and kind of enables everything else to occur after it. Yeah, I, that's what I think. Um, I, I don't know what that's worth, but it's at least what I, I believe. Is that you, you can you can convince people to do the the behavior, uh, but if they don't know why, uh, they they don't do it with the same uh, enthusiasm. And oftentimes, again, once the leadership 
uh, is not visible or present or or immediately in the vicinity, they don't do that what the same way they were doing it when leadership was there looking over their shoulders. So to me, if they have the why in place, then then the what is is something that they take the initiative. They're the ones that then um, are motivated to to do it the way uh, it's been valued within the organization. So to me, that that's the hope, at least, is that if, if you can build the the, the culture, the, the behaviors, the output, the productivity, then follows not from an extrinsic motivation standpoint where where someone says, well, if I don't get uh, this job done in the next hour, you know, my boss is going to come yell at me. Uh, where where they understand the why is here's where this matters and this is how we are all going to benefit if the the job is done in the next hour and I'm going to intrinsically motivate myself because the the culture supports that. Uh, that's that's a great point too. I, I think if you can get your employees or your team to understand the why, they will they will make the what work. Maybe they'll even find a better, more efficient way to accomplish the what because they understand that culture and just that kind of the the expectation and the reason for doing things. Yeah. And I like that. And to me, that's the hope, right? Is that growth doesn't always happen to have to come from the leadership. And to me, that, that, that seems like if, if you're running a business and all energy and direction and momentum needs to initiate from the, the top, that just seems to me like it would become incredibly draining, fatiguing, to say, man, every time something has to change in the organization, every time we need to do something new or innovate or pivot, that energy is going to have to initiate from the top. It just seems to me, I wouldn't want to lead an organization where I always have to be that that initiator. I would love to be in an organization where those that are at all levels are uh, encouraged and supported to take information that they're getting from their environment and, and make adjustments that are going to be better because they understand the why. So kind of switching gears, we, we were talking earlier about kind of creating a culture where communication is valued and, and free to happen. So how, I guess, how do we set the precedent or set the expectation in a workplace? And how do we create that culture where communication is valued and that it needs to happen for us to be successful. Yeah, it, that I would love to have that answer, like straight up to say, here you go. If you if you follow these three steps, this is what it's going to take. But yes, the how to. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, but you know what? I think first, the first thing it takes is you need to know what your values, attitudes, and behaviors are as the leader, so that as you're bringing in new members of your team that you're bringing in people that fit into that culture as opposed to figuring it out along the way or trying to convince people to fit into your culture. If they don't share those values um, intrinsically, I, I don't know that that's something that you can say, hey, can you leave your attitude outside? Because when you come in here, I want you to be a, a completely different person than you are uh, in, your, in your normal life. I just don't think you have that. And, and I also think it's probably not beneficial to be asking people to uh, completely change their culture to survive or thrive within your culture. So to me, it starts with first understanding yourself, being very self-aware of the things that you value and, and the things that you think are important so that you can then go out, communicate that to the people you're looking to bring in 
and try then to make sure that you find people that that match that or will thrive within an environment like that. They don't have to be the same as you are, but they do need to be able to uh, see where they fit into that culture. So to me, it starts with, first of all, looking in the mirror and really figuring out who you are and and what are the things that you you value and and support as a leader so that you can build a team around you that is also going to thrive within that space. So I think that's very important for everybody listening. When you're looking for people to join your team, not saying that you need to find people who are just like you or just fit a certain mold, but you need to be looking for people who have the same mindset and can get to the same why that you share in your organization. So Again, like you said, Peter, you don't want people to have like a work personality and then their actual real life human being personality. You know, you want to find someone for your team who is who already has that intrinsically and shares those values, those organizational and your leadership values. Now, that was well said, Peter. Yeah. And, and I think that's what you what you have to do in interviews. Um, and, and again, I don't, I don't like saying you have to. What, what I like to do um, in, in my very, very limited uh, success that I've had in my life. I don't know that there's been even more success than, than failure, but however I've gotten to this point in my life, I think that what what I've tried to do is, again, not say I have a position that needs to be filled and the primary function of that position is a set of tasks, is that I'm looking to add a person to the team. These are the things that that I think are going to fit into the culture and the values of the the group that we already have. And I'm going to go out and try to find someone that fits first. And then we will, we're going to look and see, do we have skills and abilities and, and knowledge that can, can fit into and be productive in that role? But I, I really want to see fit first. The fit is going to be the main thing that I would look for too. I mean, you, you can teach people how to, how to do certain tasks. And you know, through practice training, that's kind of our job as leaders is, is training people how to do certain things, but you really, as a leader, cannot train someone to have the why or to, to be able to see that, that big vision or to be able to embrace that company culture. So it's very important when you're hiring, doing interviews, or even kind of screening resumes, I'm sure that you can kind of get the vibes as to if someone will be a good fit or they will not for your organization. Yeah. And it's not always, you know, resumes and interviews. Sometimes it's just some of the different interactions that you have, um, you know, just coming into an interview. How are they interacting? Are they inquisitive? Are they uh, looking around? Do they want to see more or are they just focused on the interview is the only thing that matters? And and again, because it, oftentimes when, when we're interviewing people, I see candidates come in and it seems like they want to have the right answers to the questions in the interview. And, and I, I got to tell you, I, at least as someone that's interviewed a lot of people, and I, I don't even remember if I interviewed you at some point, I'm pretty sure I did. But the point is, I don't remember most of the time what the answers are, but I remember how people answered. And I remember how they interacted with the space and the place and the other people in that environment. Because again, I, I also have a duty to the other people that I'm working with if I'm going to be making a decision of who's going to join our team, I have a responsibility to the team that's already in place that we're going to bring in someone that is a fit for them as well. So that to me is really important is, is seeing beyond just the interview. 
how are they dealing with some of these things? And sometimes it's, it, it is doing things like having a Skype interview so I can see how they handle uh, technology and, and are they again thinking about what they say? Or are they also thinking about where they position their camera so that I'm seeing things that that uh, sometimes are are you know very well staged and sometimes I'm seeing what's convenient and to me that that's a concern if I see someone saying well this is where my camera is always set because it's the most convenient for me so you're going to have a, a, a Skype interview with a talking head back to communication it, verbal matters what you say matters but also again how you deliver that. Is, is a lot more to that. And to me, a Skype interview is a great opportunity for you to stage the, the background and the, the vibrancy of the space that you're interviewing from so that you can communicate so much more than the words that are coming out of your mouth. When someone asks you, tell me about a time you worked with teams and, and how did you deal with, with struggle within that team? Like, th- those are the things that, you know, your answer, I don't know, is going to move the needle uh, too far one way or the other because everyone's going to respond in a very similar format. But how does someone set up that Skype interview? Those are the things that really tell me a lot. So when we're talking about communication, I also like to look at the the nonverbal stuff, the, um, the the stuff that's going on around the communication to say, we have an opportunity to to pass along a lot of information, particularly now when we have things um, with, with visual, even in a virtual space, we can really take take 10 minutes and think about where are we going to set up the camera today so that, that I can tell an additional story beyond the ones that I get asked in this interview. You know what? I, and again, this is something I learned. And, and again, it, it's biased because these are, these are things that I've, I've seen and experienced. But I, I remember working with one of my colleagues, Don Martin, um, who worked at Kutztown. But he was also doing some some teaching as well, um, and he he was teaching a class that was was hybrid online. And one of the things I was helping him with was during his his online weeks, he would film about a thirty minutes presentation to the students, a video, and upload it for them to to absorb. And he, we would go out and, and sit by. Uh, he had a little fish pond at his house, and we'd sit out by this waterfall and a fish pond, and we record the the thirty minutes. It was a history course, and then the next week we'd go and we'd sit in the garden, and then we'd go some other place. And, and the feedback from the students was, "Wow, this was so engaging!" And it was just Don being in the spaces that Don normally liked to be in. But what it did was it really brought people into Don's life. So when when they wanted to know why is Don saying some of the things he says, you got a chance to understand his background, his history, and and then he literally welcomed his class into his home. And I really took a lot from that to say I, I didn't I didn't realize how much that mattered. And and I remember making those videos with Don and saying, man, this this. I didn't understand it at the time, but now I, I really take note of that to say I, I think that mattered to his students at the time. And now to me, that that's something that I do value is to say I am a, a human just like everyone else that I'm working with. I have flaws. I have hopes. I have dreams. I have fears. And to me, it's also part of my responsibility to to lay bare some of those things so that students know that, that they're not alone. Uh, for instance, speaking in public is something that I do regularly. I'm a professor. I stand in front of classes all day, every day. But I have serious social anxiety typed um, symptoms. So I, I don't have a diagnosis of be, of having social anxiety. But having those those moments are, are things that um, 
I'm, I'm nervous. I'm scared. I, I nearly throw up all the time. And when I tell students that they're amazed, they say, no, there's no way that's you. And I say, guys, I, I can tell you when I walk my son to the bus stop in the morning, knowing that there's going to be two or three other people there, that, that five minute walk, I'm, I'm literally scared and nearly throwing up every single morning because I carry some of those symptoms. So just communicating that changes how students interact with me in that they say, wow, I, I, I am too of feel those things, but I had no idea that the people that I'm interacting with in my, my daily life, I thought they were all better than me, something different than me. And, and I think that's, uh, again, part of the, the culture that, that I want to, to create, particularly in a classroom environment, is that there, there's no one here that is, is better than anyone else. I am in the classroom, even as the professor, as much to learn as I am to teach. And part of what I want to do is learn alongside of my students because they're better at a lot of things than, than I am. And, and it's my responsibility to, to work with them and, and not necessarily just tell them what to do. Yeah, I think opening up and, and expressing that vulnerability to others on your team or whether they're your students or they could be in your, your employees gives that empathy and, and shows that you are, like you said, a human being just like they are and, and creates that culture where it just, I don't know, it makes you more approachable. I think expressing that vulnerability just makes you more relatable and especially for public speaking, I've heard several people who are professional speakers or speak for a living, teach or are motivational speakers who at to this day, after having done it tens, hundreds of times, still have anxiety and are nervous before getting up in front of a group of people. But I mean, and it's completely surprising because you do this for a living, but yet it's still because you're a human being, you still are anxious and nervous before doing it. Yeah. And, and to, to be honest, I, you know, while I don't like having those feelings, I'm glad I feel, um, I want to be, I want to have feelings good and bad because I, they, it gives me clues. So for instance, if I know that I I'm about to do something and I, I really start having those, um, those anxious moments is because something matters in that moment, but, you know, and, and maybe it is something as small as taking my son to the bus stop, but you know what, I I'm there filling a role for my son and, and I want to be a part of, of as much of his life as I possibly can. And, and these are moments to me that, that matter. And, and again, I, I want to be, um, you know, strong and supportive and, and all those things. But I also at the same time, uh, and scared. And, um, you know, those are things that I think will, will ultimately eventually matter in, in the relationship that I have with my son is that um, I'm not afraid to say to him, I'm wrong. I made a mistake. I don't know. And the same thing happens with the people I work with and the students that I teach is I think that's part of what uh, the foundation is, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that vulnerability is not weakness. Vulnerability is I have uh, some challenges, but at the same time, come take a look at, at how I respond to those things. So yes, absolutely. I get nervous and anxious when speaking, but go ahead, give me a speaking opportunity. I'm going to stand up and speak because that's that's how I'm responding to to the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities I have is that it makes me hyper focused on how do I get myself better at dealing with those things, not removing the anxiety. I, I, I don't necessarily ever think that I want that to go away, but I want to be better at managing the anxiety so that I can continue to live with that part of my life. 
Definitely. And let's hop back to enabling the culture of communication at the in the workplace. So besides hiring the right people, getting the right people to join your team who have that mindset, that potential to understand the why and fit into your culture that way, say, once those individuals are in your organization, how do you continue to enable and foster that environment of communication? I, I think first, again, back to listen. Um, so again, no matter what your role, listening, I think, is is the best thing you can do to foster a, a culture that values and, and supports communication, open, free communication. So listening, I think, is the first thing that matters. And, and some of that, again, is just picking up on nonverbal clues. So again, the listening doesn't always have to be auditory. It can be listening to other things. Uh, you know, seeing seeing somebody going through some stress, seeing somebody, uh, you know, needing some adjustments in their schedule and, and trying to, to say, all right, something's going on. I don't necessarily need to know what I, I that's one thing I've tried to to say, like, I don't I don't need to know why uh, someone might be, uh, you know, having some challenges, but I, I need to know if there's a challenge. What can we do to support that to to figure out ways to uh, make adjustments or again, show that we do value and care for the person first and and the output is is going to come i i believe i don't i don't even think that the output is second i think people are business and and that's what everything comes down to so again i think listening is is one of those critical things and then consistency i i I think is everything so to me it 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 only takes a, a moment to to burn that um that bridge of consistency you know, you, you have young children. I have one son that, that's young. And, and particularly with children, uh, I, I think you, you see that very quickly is that uh, you only get a couple chances to, uh, to burn their trust by, by saying, you know what, if I, if I want to give you freedom, but then I'm constantly taking away from you by, you know, whatever, taking away toys or doing things, then then it's not that I want to give freedom. I actually want something different, but I, I might not be communicating that clearly. Having young children, I think, is one of the, the, the greatest challenges in being consistent with communication because there's so much freedom, I, I think, that that they could or should have. But at the same time, they're they're chaotic as as beings that are trying to explore and figure out their world. Uh, hopefully it's a little bit easier with with adults in a workplace, but it's still not the easiest thing in the world. So I think consistency is is probably the second most important thing to maintaining uh, a culture of free and open communication is making sure that things are consistent, that you're not changing um, the, the the way you communicate, but also the things that you value and and where you're putting up roadblocks. Because people are going to say, you know what, when I came in here last week and told you this, you were super supportive. And now I came in and, and now we have a problem. That, that that consistency needs to be there or else the communication, I believe, will, will, will cease to, to happen. And consistency is essential for allowing your, your employees or your team to know and expect outcomes, certain outcomes when certain things happen. So if you're consistent in whether it's your disciplining or just how you react to certain things, if you react the same way to the same things that happen, people are going to start knowing how you think and know what to expect when other things happen. So that that communication is there because there are just more knowns 
in your team members' lives. And the more knowns that are there, there is less stress put on them from you know the the leader in their life, which allows them to to be free, freer to to work and be productive. Yeah, and and I think so. Being the leader is is not always being in front. Being the leader is being a part of what's going on, and and likely a part of most of the things that are going on in an organization. So, as that as that leader role, and particularly with a leader that that is trying to foster a culture again of free, open, um, unencumbered communication across all members of the team, I, I think that stress is is coming from that unknown and and I, I think that's a pretty general concept that stress is is exists because we don't know what the response is going to be to a certain variable and and the more consistent you can be like you said with with discipline expectations um, outcomes uh, I think you can not eliminate the stress but you can make some of those things a little bit more, I don't want to say predictable, but at least they're going to understand the highs and the lows. Where 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 is the leader going to fall uh, in their response when when something like this happens? It should be fairly understood, and that I think reduces some of the stress, which also then I think increases some of the um, the productivity because people are not worried or they're not necessarily spending time thinking about possible negative outcomes. They're just thinking about there's going to be an outcome. And, and they should know uh, somewhere where that's going to map. So we talked about listening. We, we talked about consistency. Is there anything else that you can think of regarding establishing that, that culture of communication? Uh, you know, again, to me, it, it's still, you know, the, the consistency, not only in, in the outcome or the, the response that, that you have as a leader, but again, so that the, the, the stated objective, the stated culture, this is the things that we care about, is consistent with the, the non-stated piece, the, the attitudes, the, the things that we, we care about, um, and all the way then down to, to ultimately the behaviors. It's, to me, it's, it's critically important that, that those things all match. And again, it's really easy to say things like, you know, we value our employees and, and their freedom. Um, and then when, then you have a policy that says, oh, by the way, here are the 900 rules that we have that restrict your ability to take paid time off or whatever it might be. And you say, well, that, that doesn't make any sense. You can't value our freedom and then have 101 rules that restrict our freedom. They, those things don't go together. So again, but policy tends to be written out of a, a control component where, where culture, I, I think, tends to be more optimistic and more driven by the the potential of of freedom and i'm not saying that you don't need policy and you don't need process and you don't need rules i'm saying that those things can oftentimes contradict themselves and that that to me is oftentimes where there's a challenge of does our culture match our actual process and and that's something that i think is is important to be looking at do do we actually connect those things and and make sure that we're following through not only what we say how we interact with our employees or, or our, our students or even our family members. And then do we have practices that then support, again, the attitudes and the values that we state are important to us? Just like many things in life, it's very easy to say one thing and do another. So culture is very, it's very difficult 
to have a thriving and successfully optimistic culture because like you said, Peter, oftentimes the two contradict one another. You'll say that you have the best culture. You're going to be singing Kumbaya about your culture all the time. And then you're going to have a 900 page rule book of restrictions. So yeah, that's a great observation. And unfortunately I've seen too many organizations where that is the case. And you'll usually see a trend in those organizations where the turnover is rather high. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, the, and that's when we, when we were talking about some of the things that, that happen with cultures, it takes time to really observe that. And, and that's usually what happens as you're there over time and you say, wow, this is really strange because there's no, I've never met anybody that's been in this one position for longer than a year. And, and that's, that's where now you start saying, oh, that's where there's a disconnect culture. Is there, there must be something off here because if what we say sounds good enough for people to join the team, the organization, the club, the family, whatever it might be, something is going wrong and, and people are, are disconnecting from that uh, in a relatively short amount of time. And that to me is an important thing that to be looking at is, is how is that turnover happening? And, and if it's happening because we're, we're helping people get their careers started and they're jumping off to their, to their next level, they're getting promotions to move on, that's one thing. But if you see that people are moving to, to take lateral positions or, or, or just to get out of the space, then there's definitely going to be a disconnect because whatever we're, we're promoting as values, attitudes, and behaviors is, is not actually being followed through with our actual behaviors. Would you say that there's a parallel between a culture with trust being that it takes a very, very long time to build both a company culture and trust, but it can very easily in a short time just be completely destroyed and dismantled. I, I do. I think trust is a is a critical term, and I'm I'm glad you used it because I think it is uh, probably not the same thing as, as some of the things we were talking about with culture. But I think the trajectory that that trust has is very similar to to what you would be seeing with with culture as you're developing a culture for organ, for an organization. The the trajectory of trust in that organization is going to be on a similar pathway. And I also think trust is one of those things, again, easy to be asked for, easy to expect from others. But again, trust is an earned thing. It happens over time. It is not a point in time, but is a constantly moving target. And, and trust needs to be not only earned once, but then once it's earned, it is constantly maintained and it is constantly a moving target. So everyone needs to adjust. Uh, to make sure that that trust is uh, continues and and continues to build and grow. Outstanding. That wraps up all the questions I had for you, Peter. Is there anything else that you want to say as we're drawn to a close here about trust, communication, culture, anything? So the only other thing I want to say is that it's it's such a. Uh, I mean, I'm, again, I'm going to use words that I I think are probably used a lot and and maybe lack the value or, or what they're supposed to be. But truly, this has been very, it's been great. It's been an honor. I'm just trying not to say, it, but it is. It's an, actually an honor for me to be able to be on a call with you as you're going down a trajectory of your own business, your own uh, entrepreneurial endeavors to not only build a business, but the why of, of helping support your family, showing lessons, life lessons to your children. Uh, and your spouse as you're going off and, and taking challenge, learning as you go, 
building networks and, and making things happen. It's, it's such a cool part for me to, to have known you as, as a college graduate student and now be able to, to connect again, probably some eight years after we, we saw each other the last time, uh, and see that you're, you're continuing on that pathway. And to me, it was just exciting to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to say, uh, it's easy to say I support Ian and what he's doing, but if I really did, you know what I would be doing? I'd be listening to the podcast and, and I would also be saying, Hey, if you need a voice to, to join you, I'd be happy to do that. And it's something that I'm taking on as a challenge in, in my current life right now is to, whenever I hear myself say things like I support that, it has to be more than words. I need to, to put time, energy, money behind those things to show that I truly do support. So again, moving in my own world beyond just the, the lip service, just beyond the words to say, I support uh, things like music in the schools. Well, you know what? If I support music in the schools, I'd be going to the concerts. I'd be buying the music that they're producing. And I'm trying to make those conscious changes. And, and Ian, it's been great to uh, hopefully be putting some additional support behind you other than just saying, great job, Ian. Here's a thumbs up on LinkedIn. Uh, I truly do think you're doing a great job. And um, I'm happy to have at least shared part of that, uh, that pathway with you tonight. Peter, and it's been an equal honor having you on the show. I mean, eight years ago, I, honest to goodness, greatly, I, I have such fond memories of those times of us working up there in Kutztown, Pennsylvania together. And a lot of who I am today as a professional and a leader is because of those experiences I had with you and that organization. So thank you so much. I think you are directly involved to why I'm doing this and my why for this show. So again, thanks for being on the show and thanks for your support for the last eight years, man. No problem. I'm, I'm happy to do it. And um, yeah, those, those are good words. And, and hopefully you have them on recording because I'll listen to that again and again and again. That's, uh, that's how I get paid in this world is, is energy resonates and, and uh, this powers me up to do this again and again. So thanks again, man. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where this, this pathway takes you and, and I'll support you. Whatever next steps are, uh, I'm here for you. Eight years, 18 years, 28 years. We're there, man. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. And again, thanks for being on the show. No problem. Thanks, Ian. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on whatever podcast platform you use to listen to your podcast. I'm also available at getheardpodcast.com. And my brand new email for this podcast is up. And that is Ian, I-A-N, at getheardpodcast.com. Again, thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you later.